0: So today, I'd like to explore the theme of awareness. What is what it is what is awareness from Sayadaw's perspective? And to start by just saying that um, this talk grew out of a couple of conversations that I had with him during the retreat this last April. So it's still a an exploration <laughs> what I'm saying some of it is very familiar to me some of it you will have heard before you know some, perhaps some of the information <laughs> I'm giving you will have heard before but kind of the putting of together of it in this way is a new um, new perspective on awareness for me and so I wanted to share that with you <laughs> the exploration began when. Uh, probably years ago, <laughs> when I began recognizing that Saida used the term awareness, and it seemed to me use the term awareness in different ways at different times. Um, and that seems like it could be helpful at times, um, to have a kind of a loose term, because the feeling of awareness is an intuitive feeling. And so to try to pin it down and say, this is what awareness is... Um, I thought, well, you know, okay, it's okay to have a loose term, so I'll sit with this for a while. And, and finally, I did a little bit more, you know, investigation in my own experience. And, and I went into the, the, um, the meeting with him, and I said, okay, there's, there's at least three experiences that I would call awareness. I could call awareness. You know, I could call it the, uh, the mindfulness. That's one perspective you know, that we could call awareness. Um, then there's another piece which I, I wouldn't often actually call awareness, but maybe at times I've heard people, especially in reports to him, use the term awareness to mean kind of knowing. Um, there's a, an aspect of the mind that knows experience. Every sense object, whether of body or mind, comes with the knowing and sometimes people talk about that as awareness in their reports to him. Uh, so that's another, another aspect of experience. And that knowing, um, just to clarify for you what I mean by that, is, happens regardless of whether we're mindful or not. It's just the faculty of knowing that happens in every moment. We, we have a sense experience and a knowing of it, whether or not we're mindful of it. And so that's a very different definition of awareness, if we were to use that as a word for awareness, than mindfulness. And then the third experience that I, I could call awareness is, um, it's an experience that is clear when mindfulness is pretty strong. Um, and it is just simply the fact of the mind in its natural functioning. Now again, that would the mind functioning in its natural way would be happening whether we are mindful or not. Um, and so there's a, a way that when we're strongly mindful, um, that strong mindfulness can just simply reveal the mind doing its thing. Just like a mirror reflecting. It's simply a reflection of what the mind is already doing. And that kind of, we call that a natural awareness. It just is what happens. It's, it's larger than that sense consciousness. It's, it's the whole functioning of the mind. And that was kind of where I was leaning in terms of what awareness meant to me. That natural functioning of the mind. And so I went into the meeting, and I described these three to him. And I said, so, what do you mean by awareness? (laughs) (laughs) And his answer kind of took me by surprise, actually. Um, He said, the five faculties of, um, the five spiritual faculties of Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom work together. And that's what I call awareness. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time exploring what that might mean and how it might span different ways that awareness feels. Um, so I'll talk about each of the five faculties a little bit and then just explore a little bit more about awareness. Um, in Dhamma Everywhere, Sayada says, I think it's interesting that, as far as I can tell, in his books he has not yet defined awareness in this way. So this may be an evolution of his own understanding as well. I would be surprised if it doesn't appear in the next book. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, um, the way he describes the five faculties in Dhamma Everywhere is as factors that work together in the process of meditation. Mindfulness meditation is the work of growing or cultivating these spiritual faculties to work in balance. So these are some aspects of um, the five faculties, that they work together and they are essentially, they define what Tan Jeff calls, Tanisaro Bhikkhu calls the skill of meditation. That's how Tanisaro Bhikkhu uses these five faculties. He, he says these are, these are five qualities of mind that are needed to cultivate any skill. You know, wisdom, we need to know something about what we're doing. Faith or confidence, we need to have a sense that we can engage and do the, the, the skill. Um, energy applied to doing it. Mindfulness to direct our attention and remember what we're doing and what the activity is and how we're supposed to engage with it. And then stability of mind, of being able to do it in a, in a um, um, sustained and focused way concentration. So Thanasarabhika calls these the the, the skill the, 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 the qualities that create the skill, of any skill and in the Buddhist practice these are the qualities that create the skill of meditation. And so I'd like to explore the possibility of awareness as a skill. <laughs> so I'll start by kind of just going over these Five faculties, in the classical order, um, they're typically explored faith or confidence, another translation for that term, sadha, the Pali sadha, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. It's usually the order that they're presented in, in the texts. So in terms of what we're trying to do meditation cultivating this skill of awareness of mindfulness We kind of first have to have a sense of what we're doing and that's where wise view comes in and I've talked a lot about that and the three kinds of wisdom sutamayapanya chintamayapanya bhavanamayapanya Sutta maya panya, sutta meaning to hear, (laughs) so the the wisdom that comes from hearing or receiving information. Chinta maya panya, chinta meaning something along the lines of reflecting or using intellect, so the wisdom that comes through engaging with thinking about once we've gathered some information. And then bhavana maya panya, bhavana means cultivation, the the, the, uh, wisdom of cultivation, which in this sense is uh, the wisdom of insight so we need to start with something i mean if we're going to do something we have to start with some information and so we need we need to hear something and reflect on it and given that the quality of faith comes into play or confidence in in the insayras exploration of the five faculties, he usually points to this word "sada" or, um as confidence, confidence in our own ability to engage. I think it also includes confidence in what we've heard and reflected on. If we have some sense of having heard it, well, this sounds like it might be useful to me. Or maybe it's well, I don't have any idea how that might be useful to me, but I haven't got anything else better to try, so <laughs> maybe I'll give that a try. So, But in any case, it's a sense of willingness, a sense of, the initially, the sense of faith or confidence is a willingness to engage. It might initially be a leap of faith, as, you know, that, that that's how it was for me when I first started. It's like, wow, you know. Pay attention to your anger, hmm, don't know how that's going to work, but <laughs> I'll give it a try, <laughs> nothing else has worked. <laughs> so it was just kind of a leap of faith and it was a willingness to say, okay, I'll see what will happen. So that's a confidence, that's a kind of a confidence, this willingness to engage. So then there's the confidence in our, um, our capacity you know, to actually do the practice. Confidence in, um, over time, as we engage and actually begin to see some benefits of practice, confidence grows in the value of practice. And this is where confidence becomes more real to us. It's no longer the leap of faith. We have our own experiences that um, incline us towards engaging. So we cultivate confidence, at least for me, there's, the, there's, there's two kind of ways of, uh, of exploring the cultivation, and I've already touched on both of them in a way. The first one is through just trying it and see, the willingness to run the experiment. Even if you have no sense of how it will work, whether it will work, just that willingness run the experiment. And that's, that's how I began. You know, I tend to have this scientific kind of bent, and so it's like, it sounded to me like the Buddha was describing some kind of science of observing the mind. It's like, well, I don't know how that experiment's going to work, but I'm willing to run it. I'll, I'll run the experiment and see what happens. And to me, this evokes the quality of the Dharma. Uh, there are two qualities that, that confidence comes in um, to there too, that are often paired in describing the Dharma. pasiko," which means come and see. Come and see. Come and see for yourself what the Dharma is. That's the only way the Dharma unfolds, is if we come and see. We can hear it and think about it, and that actually doesn't get us very far. We have to engage. So come and see. And then over time, as we run the experiment. Most of us who are willing to actually put our foot in, in the in the pond and give it a try find some benefit. Maybe not all the time, but over time we, we begin to see some benefits. And this touches into the second quality of um, of the Dharma. It's said to be the Dharma is uh, opanaiko, Onward leading is the translation for that term. And I understand that to be the, the, once you have taken a step on the path, another way it's phrased is the Dharma is good in the beginning, the middle, and the end. So we take a step onto the path and we see some benefits almost immediately. And that leads us onward to keep engaging. So with this confidence, this willingness to engage, it's kind of like these, these faculties, these five faculties, work in a, an ever-deepening spiral, and I'm kind of going through the first pass of the spiral here. Um, we had to start with some kind of knowledge, wisdom, leading to a, a willingness, a confidence to engage with that wisdom, to try it it's ourselves. That willingness to engage leads to the engagement. Leads to energy towards the practice. This is the, the second of the factors. Second of the faculties. So energy in this context is energy directed towards the practice. It's cultivated through... It's cultivated in several ways, but one of the key ways energy is cultivated is through effort. We make wise effort may sound a little backwards. Sometimes we think we need energy to make effort. And we do. We need a certain amount of energy. We need the energy of just simply being alive (laughs) to begin to make effort. But the spiritual quality of energy is generated by making effort wisely. So there's the whole teaching on wise effort, cultivating, maintaining wholesome states, letting go, abandoning, Um, avoiding unwholesome states. Sayadaw's definition around energy and effort is more practical moment to moment how do we use energy in the practice. So the light touch that he talks about, the gentle persistence is what he emphasizes around energy. There's some other ways that energy arises in our practice. Uh, One is through investigation, just the, the curiosity to explore, drop a question in and the mind can kind of naturally kind of coalesce and its energy kind of coalesces around that question and begins to explore it without even our needing to consciously do it. So investigation and interest are supports for energy. Confidence is a support for energy. Confidence and uh, energy kind of work in a feedback loop. You know, when we um, have some confidence, it gives us a little bit of energy, which then we engage a little bit, and the uh, reinforcement of what we've learned gives us a little more confidence, which gives us more energy. So the stronger the confidence, the stronger the energy. The stronger the energy, the stronger the confidence. And that works the same actually for this entire cycle. They all support each other in this way. There's another aspect of effort that Sayadaw emphasizes, or mentions, actually he doesn't really emphasize it, he mentions it from time to time. Um, And this often comes up in in an exploration when people are saying, wow, the practice is completely effortless. (laughs) And, And he says, well, there's no such thing as effortless practice. There's always some form of energy and effort involved in the practice. This quality, this faculty of energy is always active. It's just a distinction between whether that effort is what we would call personal effort, effort that we are... Choosing by an act of uh, an act of agency an act of will to apply effort to direct effort what would be personal effort there's certain things that we can make personal effort about and certain things that we can't make personal effort about. certain things we have to apply the personal effort and then just kind of wait for the results. And so, you know, these three yogi jobs that Sayadaw talked about, these are where we can apply personal effort. We can apply personal effort to bringing in wise view. We can apply personal effort to uh, being mindful and to um, sustaining mindfulness. We can't apply personal effort to uh, the arising of concentration. The arising of concentration is a result of the sustaining of the attention. So there's different different aspects and in some in various places, Sayada points this out, that these are the causes, these are the places where we can have agency. And these are the places that are results. Wisdom's an interesting one. It's kind of in, in the balance. The first two kinds of wisdom that I talked about at the beginning Sutta maya panya, chinta maya panya, the wisdom of hearing, the wisdom of reflecting, those we can apply personal agency to. We can we can apply personal effort to those. Confidence, energy, mindfulness we can apply agency to. Concentration and the last kind of wisdom, the wisdom of insight, those are results. He talks about this in regard to the seven factors of awakening as well. The seven factors of awakening being mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And he says of those, the first three we can apply personal agency to. Mindfulness, investigation, and energy. The rest are result. We can't apply personal agency to make those happen. We apply the personal agency to the first three and the others arise as a result. So this notion of personal agency, it's, a very, it's helpful to have a sense of what we can do and what we have to just settle back and say conditions need to come together for that to arise. So that's a little about personal effort. And then there is what he calls Dhamma effort, dharma dharma effort, and this is where, um, um, when right view is in the mind, the wisdom starts making choices, and the wisdom becomes the agent of. What happens. Now, typically, I'm going to give you hopefully a little sense of how this might be. When I first heard this, wisdom takes the four, wisdom leads, wisdom does it's like, huh? (laughs) What does that mean? And um, for me, it it kind of makes sense if I think about what normally happens in our subconscious when we're not paying much attention. Our habits and patterns kind of run the show. You know, our our patterns that we've cultivated for years, that we've practiced for years, of, of anger, of frustration, of depression, of loneliness, of eagerness, they take the four and they make our choices if we're not aware. As wisdom gets strong, as wise view gets strong, the understanding of this is nature, an object is just an object. This becomes more natural and this understanding begins to make the choices for us. Then there's mindfulness. For Sayada, the, the key quality of mindfulness It's just simple. It's simple. It's really simple. It's not forgetting. There's not so much um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that for just a moment. Mm-hmm. So the uh, that's actually very strongly connected to the root of what mindfulness means in Pali, the term sati. I think I mentioned this early on. The term sati is derived from the word for memory. So remembering. And when we think about it that's what that's what we that's what it's about right I mean sometimes the remembering ourselves comes back automatically we or you know kind of spontaneously we don't do it it just comes, and it's a remembering here I am My awareness is here, and we can also actively uh cultivate it and that um that brings me to this teaching. I think it's primarily from the commentaries that how does mindfulness get cultivated? The commentaries say the proximate cause for mindfulness is mindfulness. How does that work? (laughs) (laughs) The commentaries also talk about there being two different Flavors of mindfulness. What could be called prompted mindfulness and unprompted mindfulness. So that unprompted mindfulness is the mindfulness that spontaneously arises. This is just a natural part of being human. That this quality arises from time to time. It's just thank goodness, <laughs> that this is a natural part of being human, that mindfulness arises. And then the Buddha comes along and says, the brilliance of the Buddha, I think, was to recognize, how this quality is really useful. We need to explore this. This is helpful. So instead of in becoming mindful, you know, just leaping onto what we've become mindful of and doing things with it, cultivate that quality of mindfulness itself. So when we have those moments of unprompted mindfulness, essentially the moments when you wake up after being lost in thought, those are unprompted mindfulness. They are completely effortless. You didn't have to do a thing to make them happen. They just happened. It's a great pointer for us about what effortless awareness would feel like because it's not done there. It's just arising. And then when that mindfulness is there, when that um, unprompted mindfulness arises, the possibility of agency and personal effort can come into play and we can choose to prompt mindfulness. We prompt mindfulness through asking, am I aware? What am I aware of? Remembering mindfulness, recognizing mindfulness, appreciating mindfulness are all ways to help us prompt mindfulness. There's a distinction I'd like to call out around mindfulness because this is a place I think where uh, there's sometimes some, um, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but conflation of ideas perhaps is more right. There's the factor of mindfulness of not forgetting awareness, of not forgetting the present moment. And then there is the factor of attention. Attention is that aspect of mind that picks up on one object or another. And again, this is an interesting quality because it can be either prompted or unprompted like mindfulness is either prompted or unprompted. There can be an agency uh, a willful choosing of an object, a choosing, I'm going to pay attention to the breath right now. I'm going to pay attention to hearing right now. That directing of attention. We're familiar with that feeling. And then there is um, also the fact that there's mindfulness is always paying attention to something. There is, there's always some place that the attention is... Uh, landing, whether or not we have chosen it to land there. Again, this is where either wisdom may make a choice or defilement may make a choice about where awareness lands. It can be conscious or unconscious. (coughs) But sometimes we um, have the feeling that unless we are consciously directing attention, we are not mindful. Now, I hope that the 5 days we've had here together have helped to give you the sense that that's not necessarily the case that we can be mindful in just receiving what we are already aware of and we don't need to choose don't need to direct the attention but that is something to recognize that that at times we feel like you know if i'm not paying attention to something or or even if I don't know what the attention is, then that, that means it's not mindful. And that's not the case. That There are different factors of mind. Sometimes we can be aware and know what the mind is attending to, and other times we have no clue. Even though we are aware, it's like, yeah, I'm aware, but I have no idea what the object is. So. That's fine. It's just, it could be a, a sense of not knowing, you know, not knowing what the object is, or just, okay, well, I know that I'm aware, so let's just say I'm aware of awareness at this point, you know, <laughs> that's enough. And over time, I've seen um, in places or, or like that, where it's like, I'm not really clear on what the object is, but the mind is very clear. It can be that. Initially, when the mind was not clear about what it was paying attention to, the mind would get confused, and it would not be a very clear kind of experience. But there are, as the more I got to recognize, oh, it's just that the mind doesn't, I don't, I personally have no idea what what the object is. The mind doesn't, seem to have a problem <laughs> with that. <laughs> and it's just, okay, just hang out and be with that experience of not knowing what the object is. Sometimes the object becomes clear over time. It becomes more clear. There's some very subtle kinds of objects that as the mindfulness gets stronger, and more continuous, it's like the mind gravitates to some of these new experiences or new objects that it's like well we've never seen them before so it's like there's no way to recognize them so over time it's like we begin to you know get a a flavor of well this is that experience you know we may come up with some name or label for ourselves then there's concentration concentration Stability of mind in this practice. Different definitions of concentration, of course. The the definitions related to one-pointed concentration, absorptions, etc. And the uh, concentration related to the moment-to-moment mindfulness. The stability of the mind no matter what's happening. That ability to just be with whatever's coming, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral... And it's just, there's this thing, and then there's the next thing, and the next thing. And that stability of mind really supports non-reactivity. Because this thing comes, and by the time, before the mind has really had a chance to, to do much with it, it's already interested in the next thing. So it's not reacting to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then wisdom, I spent a lot of time talking about wise view the other day, so I won't say much more today, um, just to remind you of here in our practice, you know, the, the wisdom, moment to moment we cultivate just the recognition, objects are objects, mind, object, we begin to understand the distinction between mind and object, we understand the process nature of experience. Through experience, through being with. A piece I'd like to add about wisdom is and sometimes we have this big idea about, you know, wisdom. It's like it takes on a big aspect. You know, it's like wisdom, it sounds so grand, it sounds so remote, so it's, that's the top-of-the-mountain wisdom, and um, what I've seen is that the wisdom of the Buddha is really, really dense, and it's really interconnected, so it's kind of like, you know, the most intense kind of chocolate you can imagine, you know, you don't need to put a really big piece of that chocolate in your mouth to get a flavor of it. A little tiny bit is very potent. So, you know, when I first started this practice, a friend had sent me a book about meditation, and I didn't understand much of what was in the book. <laughs> but as I kind of alluded to earlier, I'd kind of gotten this idea from this book. A little bit of wisdom I pulled out of this book was something along the lines of, Well, when you're experiencing difficult emotions, try just observing them instead of acting on them. And I just said, okay, I don't know how that's going to work, but I just explored that little piece. And I won't go into everything I, I learned through that exploration, but there was a lot over the next three months just using that one little bit of wisdom to help me navigate my experience around anger i learned a tremendous amount and in reflecting back i didn't even understand what i was learning in terms of buddhist language but now i see i was learning about cause and effect i was learning about how how awareness brings space to the mind so that it can investigate i was learning about how intention towards something is a choice and we don't have to follow intention huge amount of learning a lot of wisdom that was coming in just through the experience and you know in reading later it's like oh that's what i that's what i saw there you know that's what i understood there i understood how craving leads to suffering <laughs> i understood that that anger was dukkha so you know understandings of the four noble truths were arising just through that little bit that little tiny bit of exploring, this little bit of wisdom. Try being with your difficult emotions instead of acting on them. So I look at the the Dharma as being this, you know, really vastly interconnected piece, you know. It's like any doorway in gets you to the whole thing, ultimately. So we don't have to, like have this idea that we have to gain a lot of wisdom to get going, to start. Work with what you already have. So these five faculties support each other. A little bit of the wisdom at the beginning, just the hearing, the listening, may incline us to engage, to try this, let's give this a try, let's run the experiment. That produces some energy. The energy of that, a part of the energy is just a persistence. So, you know, the, the, it's kind of like an engine is running. The energy of, the engine of energy is running. And that is what allows mindfulness to keep going moment by moment. It's, it's energy and mindfulness together that allow the conditions of concentration to arise. So confidence energy, mindfulness, concentration, they all support each other. And all four of those, plus the beginning bits of wisdom, wisdom we've heard, wisdom we've reflected on, allows us to understand directly in our own experience the truth of that wisdom, the insight level of wisdom. So the um, the term awareness, and when I when I brought this question of you know different experiences that we might call awareness, Sayadaw said, well the the reason that the um, you know that the the term feels a little loose, that it, it seems to apply to so many different kinds of experiences, is because these five faculties work together and at different times some of them are stronger some of them are weaker and so at the beginning wisdom is tends to be weak or at various times of our practice wisdom is more in the borrowed category and so when we're using borrowed wisdom the, the, the Practice feels like it takes effort. It's got that quality of, so awareness doesn't feel just like it's flowing and natural, but it's awareness. It's there. We're we're cultivating awareness through that personal effort. We bring our personal effort to uh, use that wisdom, bring that borrowed wisdom in, and then apply our, our confidence, our energy, and our mindfulness. Feels like the effort takes the practice takes some effort in that in that time, and then as wisdom and mindfulness get stronger, it begins to feel like there's a lot of less, it doesn't take so much work. Feels like the awareness is more flowing, more natural. It's not like we're having to try to be mindful quite as much. And in this kind of place, Sayadaw says, "Well, wisdom and awareness are working together." And they're starting to generate the other faculties. So the wisdom and, and mindfulness begin to generate confidence, energy, and concentration. So that it's not—it's not that kind of. It doesn't have that quite that same chug, 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 chug feeling. It's got much more of that. Wisdom is really supporting the practice at that point. And then, further on, um, the. Uh, Wisdom begins to get really strong. And then, as Sayadaw sometimes says, wisdom takes the lead. Wisdom makes the choices. Wisdom does the practice. And this is when it feels like effortless practice. This is when it feels like things are just flowing. You don't have to do anything. This is what what people call and say, I don't have to do anything. Practice is just happening. So these three different l- kind of levels, perhaps, of awareness and the, the energy and effort that it takes to apply them. Um, there's not a continual progression from one to the next to the next, at least not in my experience. <laughs> I might have, um, you know, the, the beginning of retreat, often we start with that, just, okay, need to get that engine going. And then we may have a little bit of that sense of, you know, it's much lighter, much lighter. And then maybe we get, you know, 10 seconds of that completely effortless practice, and then that falls away, and we're back to either the needing to really bring the effort into play or that sense of awareness and wisdom kind of working together. So there's not a continual progression from one to another. We, because these faculties, these five faculties, have different levels of balance, Of um, you know, sometimes some are, some are stronger than others, um, sometimes wisdom is stronger, sometimes it's weaker. And that's a big part of uh, what Sayadaw is describing around this part, is, is the strength of wisdom stronger wisdom is the less effortful the practice feels. So it kind of takes a form of wisdom itself to discern where we are in this terrain of how much wisdom is present and how much personal effort do we need to make. Um, I'm not going to take questions <laughs> right, right now. Um, And a growth in the practice, I think one of the, one of the places where um, we, we, we kind of recognize that there's been a, a step in the direction of more easeful practice is not when it's always flowing and easy, but when we are easy about the fact that it's not always flowing and easy. When we are easy about the fact of, oh, conditions are like this right now, okay, need to make some effort. So that's it becomes much less of a struggle when we don't struggle with these changing conditions. So I'd like to talk about some other ways, just briefly, I feel like I could talk for a while around this next piece, but I'll just briefly mention a few things, because I've touched on this topic a couple of times. I just wanted to to add a few pieces that I brought into the groups this morning. Um, So... Sayadaw addressed some of the reasons why awareness doesn't always why awareness has different feelings at different times, through this notion of how much wisdom is present. And in my own exploration, I, I've seen other ways also, that awareness doesn't feel the same at different times. And I mentioned this the other day that you know if we have some idea that Mindfulness means that there's a certain kind of clarity to our awareness, then we're going to brush by or assume that we're not being mindful or can't be mindful when the mind doesn't have that clarity. So there that's the the, the, the key here is the distinction between the mind, the mindfulness, and what the mind is paying attention to. Sometimes the objects are really clear. Sometimes the objects are really fuzzy and we um, conflate and confuse the quality of awareness with the objects that we're recognizing. So, we think when we're hazy and confused, you know, hazy and the mind is hazy, when the objects are hazy, we feel like, well, the mind is hazy. How do I clear up the mind? <coughs> and Joseph Goldstein had a great analogy for this. Um, he said, You know, suppose you're looking out the window here and, you know, it's foggy that day. Look out the window and the trees are not clear and sharp like they are right now. But you know the faculty of your eye is working fine. You just understand that it's the objects that are fuzzy. So that same kind of thing happens in awareness. There are different objects that can make it make the make it feel like the awareness is different. We can have really clear mindfulness. The mind can be perfectly clear that there's nothing clear <laughs> that, it, that everything feels hazy and fuzzy. So this, this is kind of looking at you know, the mindfulness and the experience together. We often have some opinions about what good practice is. And it's, it's not so much about is there awareness that we're concerned about. We're concerned about what we are aware of in terms of what good practice is. It's like that's, that's what we're, we're looking for, some kind of result, some kind of validation. When it feels like that, it means that I'm doing it right it means that everything's okay, and if we have that opinion or view, we might miss the fact that well, actually, everything's okay anyway. <laughs> and then there are also um, um, awareness can get tuned into objects at different levels at what we could call different levels of consciousness. Um, the awareness can be really ordinary. And you know, we can just be aware of experience in an ordinary way, ordinary perception. Um, you know, it's just like everyday mind, everyday uh, awareness. Only the mind is aware. The mind knows it. So it's not like you know we're seeing things at a level of you know, looking out there and just seeing form and color or just hearing pitch and tone. You know, there have been times in my meditation where I look out and it's like it takes some time for the mind to, to, to put, put perception on experience. Oh, that's a patch of sunlight on the grass and that's dappled sunlight on the tree. It's just this kind of weird pastiche of color and form. So you know, sometimes the mind is in that level of 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 consciousness, seeing color and form. Sometimes it's in the level of consciousness where it's actually it takes no effort at all to just perceive tree and wall and chair and person. So there's different levels of 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 consciousness, <coughs> and um, the the mind, the awareness, these five faculties can come together and be. Um, aware of any of these levels of consciousness. There are levels of consciousness where it feels like, where that clarity is there. There are levels of consciousness where it feels like things are just slipping away, where all that you're noticing is just how things end. And it's like everything's ending. There's nothing, it's like there's nothing to land on. And sometimes we get a view or an opinion that one of those levels of consciousness and you know roughly some of these the lower level we could call them lower levels of consciousness or perhaps more subtle levels of consciousness like the just looking out and just seeing form and color and not being at the level of seeing objects out there like right now i look out and i see men and women and i see zafus and zabutans and i see walls and ceilings and lights and it's like it's pretty ordinary looking (laughs) Um, if we have some idea or opinion that we need to get to this altered state of consciousness that that's some better kind of awareness we're going to miss the boat when the mind is not at that level of awareness we'll be trying to change our consciousness to be something that it's not so Again, there's just different ways that, again, this is related to objects, this is different objects. The, The levels of consciousness produce different objects that the mind notices. So we're cultivating awareness, we're cultivating mindfulness, we're cultivating these faculties. And then there was the question I asked Sayada, a follow-up question, because it was a couple of conversations. We talked about this aspect of awareness being the functioning of these five faculties, and, and then I went off and reflected on that for a little while, and I was like, okay, so what does he mean by awareness of awareness then? And this came back to me, you know, because he, he often has used, when, when the practice gains momentum, he talks about, you know, when the wisdom gets strong, the practice gains momentum. He talks about, at least in the Blue Book, the, the Devalments Alone is Not Enough book, he talks about that as natural awareness. He uses that term, that, that awareness can become, be, just becomes natural. And the way I understand that is as the, 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 the mind has become continuous so that it is just seeing what the mind is doing. At whatever level of consciousness that it happens to be at, it's just watching what the mind is doing. And so it feels very natural. It's, it's it kind of like, you know, it's interesting, kind of just like watching dominoes fall. You know, you know how you, you set up all the dominoes in a chain and then you just give one a tap and it's just they just fall like that. In in watching, when this natural awareness comes, it's just like watching, oh, this choice leading to that choice, leading to that choice, leading to that result, leading to that thing, and it's like, kind of amazing to just watch the mind do its thing. It's like, nobody's in charge. <laughs> And so I, that's what I take to be natural awareness. And, and I wondered, is, is that what he meant by awareness of awareness? You know, when the awareness gets strong like that and it can see that natural awareness, is that what he meant by awareness of awareness? And he brought it back to these five faculties again. And he said, when wisdom is strong, that would be the experience of awareness of awareness. When wisdom is strong. When wisdom is borrowed... Mostly what we mean by awareness of awareness is knowing that mindfulness is present. That, that simple aspect of the five faculties, you know, just knowing this, uh, this faculty of not forgetting, recognizing this faculty of not forgetting. So awareness of awareness spans different um, categories too or different ranges of experience. You know, I heard, you know, oh Sayadaw teaches awareness of awareness and it's like, ooh, that sounds mystical. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds good, I want that. <laughs> and so I wanted to like turn it into something mystical or something. And it's pretty simple. You know, mindfulness is an ordinary quality of mind. And that ordinary quality of mind can recognize itself. It's really simple. Don't go looking for something. It's actually already there. It's so familiar to us, this feeling of mindfulness, this feeling of being aware when we're aware. But it's like, you know, a fish swimming in water that doesn't know it's in water. It's a really familiar, basic, ordinary feeling, being aware that we're aware. And sometimes when wisdom gets strong, it can produce more mystical experiences, but those are experiences. I think that's enough, let's just sit for a few minutes.